God's in control, and we learn that sometimes the hard way. And we see that in our life whenever things seem to be out of control, and we learn that we're in the hand of God. And we learn that well in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning. If you would, take your Bibles and turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, as we continue in the series entitled, Identity, Who Am I in Christ? And the title of the message today is, We're a Show-Off. And not a show-off in the sense, in the worst sense of the world, where we try to show other people how amazing we are. But we are a show-off in the sense of, we want to show people that God is in control, that God knows what He's doing, that He has us, and that we belong to Him. I wish I had a nickel. For every time as a dad, I heard the words, Hey, Dad, watch this. Where my kids were about to do something amazing. I mean, jaw-dropping, wonderful. Hey, Dad, watch how fast I can run. Hey, Dad, watch how high I can jump. Hey, Dad, look how far I can throw this. Hey, Dad, feel how hard I can punch. I fell for that one time. But I wish I had a nickel for all of those. Of course, you know, I've shared this before, the redneck motto, famous last words of a redneck is, oh yeah, watch this. I mean, it's, it's one of those, we want people to pay attention to how amazing that we are. And we want to show off, especially in those moments when things seem to kind of crumble, and we want to show people that, that we can hold it all together, and that we're fine, and that we're amazing, and that we're wonderful people. But it's only when that watch this or this show-off mentality becomes all about us that it really becomes detrimental. It's like what A.W. Tozer, famous former pastor, once said, Many a solo is sung to show off. Many a sermon is preached as an exhibition of talent. Many a church is founded as a slap to some other church. Missionary activity may be competitive and soul winning may degenerate into a sort of salesman project to satisfy the flesh. It may amaze you to think that there are things that we could do as a church or that you could do as a Christian that is all about you. It may amaze you and just glad that you're sitting so that you don't faint at the idea that there may be some churches that are really all about their church and not about the cross of Jesus. It may amaze you to know that there are times in your own Christian life when you want people to see you. You want people to notice your strength. You want them to admire your wisdom. You want them to admire your strength to get through some challenge. And what the Bible reminds us today is anything that we ever show off to another person should be Jesus and Him alone. Because when we are at our worst, God shows up the most. When we are defeated and feel as though we have no strength, God gives us that peace that passes all understanding to tell us that He has never left us or forsaken us. And that's what the world needs to see. They don't need to see another example of how amazing some person is in some moment. They need to see the eternal strength and grace and forgiveness and mercy of God that shines like a light in every ounce of darkness. They don't need to see you. They need to see Him. And in this text of Scripture today, when we're thinking about what is my identity as a Christian, the Bible tells us that we 
that we are a show-off, but we are one that just simply shows off all that God has done. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7 to the end of the chapter, teaches us that very lesson today. And if you would, if you're able to, would you stand as we read this text of Scripture together? Beginning in verse 7 through the end of the chapter, the Bible tells us this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. For it is all for your sake that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for the timeless truth of who you have called us to be and what our real identity is in Christ. God, may we never forget what we are. Father, may we never forget who we are and whose we are. Father, may we never turn the spotlight on us, but instead keep the spotlight on the Lord Jesus Christ and show the world the amazing grace and how sweet the sound. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The first real issue that Paul gets to when speaking of being a show-off comes in those first few verses in this chapter. And in those opening verses before he really gets to our identity, what Paul reminds us of in the first six verses in that chapter is that we need to focus on the light of salvation. He tells us to present the light of salvation and present that light so that the ministry that he's called us to will be effective. As Paul in these opening verses in this text of scriptures, you notice he tells us that we, in verse 2, have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. He said we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. You know, before we even begin to understand 
who we are in Christ and what our ministry is by showing off Jesus, we must remember what we are not. And what Paul reminds the church and what I need to remind you is that we're not clever enough to come up with something that is better than the gospel. We may adjust our method. We may use different strategies in reaching people for Christ. But the message of the gospel of Jesus is never to be compromised. And the light of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Christ, is the only hope that takes the eternal light of God and shines it in the darkest dark of night. Listen, there are churches, there are Christians, there are people that try to come up with all sorts of different ways to reach people. But sometimes those methods are outside of the Word of God. And I heard a pastor say many years ago, whatever you catch them with, you've got to keep them with. And if you present a message of a story that says you're amazing, you're great, you're smart, you're wonderful, you can do it, you can make a difference, you can pull yourself up, you can really change your destiny, and Jesus is only there to walk next to you to make sure that you are awesome. Then that's what you have to keep telling people. You have to tell people they're awesome when they blow it. You have to tell people how amazing they are when they sin. You have to continue to convince people that they are the sole center of their universe. Paul says, we don't do that. That's not our method. That's not our message. And we're not going to distort the gospel to make somebody feel good. We're not going to change the message just to make people happy. And we're certainly not going to compromise Jesus to get more people to sit in our seats. Instead, we're going to constantly point them to the only hope that exists. And this foundation is essential for everything that Paul says in the the ending part of this chapter because the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most important light and is the only light that will help somebody come to know Jesus personally he says even if our gospel is veiled in verse 3 it's veiled to those who are perishing in their case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Friend, listen. The message of the cross of Jesus says that Jesus died to set you free from your sin. In fact, I was sharing recently that there are two key words that are essential for salvation. And one of them is the easiest one to embrace, and that is the word Savior. Now Paul says in relationship to the gospel, what we're doing is we're sharing a message of salvation which has to do with Jesus saving you from your sin. From the beginning of time, the Bible teaches us that without the shedding of blood, without some sacrifice, there's no way to cover our sin. Because sin causes death, something must die to pay for that sin. God set up in the Old Testament a practice of shedding blood. And whenever there was sin, then God's people were required to shed blood to cover their sin. 
And what the Bible teaches us is when Jesus came, God's one and only Son, He was the only sacrifice that we needed both in the past, the present, and the future, and that the blood of Jesus was sufficient to cover all of our sin. You believe that? Say a good amen. That is salvation in Jesus being your Savior. And if you profess your faith in Jesus, not you, not your neighbor, not your grandma, not the good things you do, but if you say, I believe that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he purchased and covered my sin, then you are trusting in Jesus as your Savior. But Paul also says there's another word that is just as important, and he said we profess Jesus as Lord. That means, and I would say this to a six or seven year old child who has questions about the gospel, I would say to that young child, this means, boys and girls, that Jesus gets to tell you what to do. He gets to tell you how to speak. He gets to tell you how to act. Jesus tells you what you ought to say and what you shouldn't say. When Jesus is Lord, you do everything he tells you to do. And I look at those little children and I say, now do you like having somebody tell you what to do? And of course they say no. Do you like to have somebody tell you what to do? No. But when Jesus is the Lord of your life, he leads you to always say what is right, to think what is pure, to decide what is holy, to follow God's will perfectly. And when Jesus is Lord of your life, he will never lead you astray. That is the main issue. Our churches are flooded with people that will rejoice that Jesus is their Savior, but deny that Jesus is their Lord. And those people have never come to know Christ personally. Because whoever knows Jesus, Jesus changes them. He doesn't just make them a better person. He doesn't just make them more awesome than they were before. No, Jesus steps into that person and he leads them and he guides them and he changes them and they are eternally thankful for that change. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago of a church that put in a golf course in their ancient cathedral. But a little closer to home, not that long ago, there was a bishop-elect whose name is Paul Eggensteiner of New York. He is a bishop-elect of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. He recently, within the last few months, attended a gay pride march in New York. He and another bishop held up a sign that says this bishop loves you now I have no issue with telling people that you love them and that you want God's best for them but he wrote in a blog being at that rally that someone came up to him shook him by the hand and asked him a question and he barely heard him and he asked him to repeat it the young man asked him so I'm not going to hell and the bishop said no and the young man smiled and he looked at the bishop again and he shook his hand even harder he said so you're telling me that I'm not going to hell 
And the bishop says, no, God loves you, and I do too. This particular bishop, by the way, believes that there is a hell, but he believes that hell is empty because God loves all. And friend, I'm going to tell you that we as a church don't do anybody any favors when we tell that them that Jesus can be their Savior, but does not require being their Lord. We do people a disservice when we only tell them about the love and the mercy and the grace of God and leave out the fact that Jesus leads us to be holy as God is holy. We do not do the world any favors by telling them that we love them and there's nothing wrong with them when we fail to point out that the reason Jesus died is to not only save us from our sin, but from ourselves. And Jesus being our Savior saves us from our sin. Jesus being our Lord saves us from ourselves. Now that was worth coming to church for. And that is the light of the gospel of Jesus. And therefore, the Bible teaches us that we need to not only let the light of salvation shine, but Paul goes on to give us two other strong encouragements from this passage. He said, because of that, we need to present a life of victory. I imagine that most of us, if not almost all of us, can identify with Paul in these verses of Scripture to say, now pastor, once I gave my life to Jesus, it didn't get perfect. I still had problems. I still had money issues. I still had relationship issues. I've still got health concerns. And when I gave my life to Jesus, I thought I was going to get it all. And Paul says you still have victory in Jesus. Listen to this. Verse 7, he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. I'm going to say this as clear and plain as I can. If you walked into this room this morning to worship the jar and not the one who created the jar, then you are worshiping the wrong vessel. Our jars are simply jars of clay. We are here for a short time. We are withering away by the moment. The worship of us is temporary. The worship of God is eternal. And it is not the jar that's amazing, it's what God puts in it. It's not the beauty of the jar. It's not how long the jar lasts. It's not how amazing other people think the jar is. Paul says this surpassing glory is not us, it's him. And so where does the victory in life come from? Listen to these verses. Verse 8, he says, We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. Friend, your life is most likely a definition of being afflicted by being a faithful follower of Jesus. You've paid for it. You've lost for it. You've been on trial for it. You have lost friends over it. Something has gone wrong as a, as a 
reason for your following Jesus, but those things are temporary. You have been afflicted and hurt, but you've not been crushed. Listen, whatever the world takes away, God eternally blesses and He gives back. You have five people walk out of your life because you're a follower of Jesus. Even if God doesn't replace those five, He shows up and more than makes up for the loss. You lose your job for sharing your faith and testimony in Christ, God will take care of you. Paul says we are afflicted in every single way, but we're not crushed. He says we are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Now I know that there are people in this room that have gone to bed each night tossing and turning and you are perplexed, you are confused, you're conflicted, you don't know which way to think. But at the end of the day, what settles your heart is the fact that God says you can have peace that passes all understanding. That even though you don't get it, you know that He does. Even if your answer falls short, you know God's answer is eternal. Friend, this is a life of victory in Jesus. You don't have to get it. You don't always have to feel it. You don't even have to understand it. But when you put your faith and trust in God, you know that He has it all under control. We are perplexed. But we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. There are times in the life of every Christian that you lose something as a result of following Christ. But you have victory in Jesus. Now show me in the contract of becoming a follower of Jesus where it says, the moment that I give my life to Jesus, He's going to give me $8.8 million. Show me in the contract where it says the moment that you step into eternal life and give your life to Jesus Christ and know without a shadow of a doubt that you are born again, that from that moment on, for the rest of your days on this planet, you'll have perfect health. You'll find people on television that will tell you, well, if that's not the case, then something's wrong with you. You're just not doing it right. I would stand next to Paul in heaven and I would look at those people, if they're there, and I would say, really? You're talking about the greatest missionary that's ever been on the planet and obviously he was not doing it right? Who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and you're saying that, that if you get sick, if you lose something, if you're, if you're frustrated and persecuted that you're not doing it right? Did Paul do something wrong? No, he did everything right. He gave his life to Jesus. And as a result of it, he was close to death many times. And God said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He had a thorn in his side and his flesh. And he said, God, take it away. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. See, some of us forget that that is victory in Jesus. Not living a life with no problems. Not living a life with no pain. Not living a life with no issues. Living a life with Jesus who is always there. That's the victory. And if somebody stands up behind a pulpit or leads a Bible study and tells you that you're doing it wrong if you don't have millions in the bank or perfect health or people don't think that you're awesome and you don't have 9.375 billion friends, 
and somebody tells you that you're doing, that's not a real number, by the way. I just totally made that up. And somebody tells you you're not doing it right if you don't have all that stuff. Your only answer is, I'm just following Jesus. And Jesus is enough. I don't have to have all the money, the friends, the best health in the world to have victory in Jesus. I just need Him. In fact, there was a convict many years ago who put his life motto on the wall. He scratched it on the wall. His life motto was born to lose. And guess what? We're all born to lose. That's why we must be born again. Because when we are born again from that moment until all of eternity, we are born to win. Not because of us, but because of God. Because of Jesus and His victory on the cross and walking out of the tomb, that's what gives us victory. Not our money in the bank, not our reputation to other people, not our perfect health that nobody has, but the fact that we can point people to Jesus. We are born to win. Paul says, I believe it. I was, I'm going to be raised with Jesus. Even if it cost me everything, he says, this grace, verse 15, is reaching more and more people. And then lastly, he teaches us, not only do we present the light of salvation, not only are we called to present a life of victory, but lastly, we're called to present the living hope. What is the answer? If I am going to show the world something, if I'm going to put something on display, and I'm going to choose between something I do or something that God does, what do I want people to see in me? Paul says it's a living hope. He says in verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Friend, I look at you and I've seen those of you in this room that have had heart issues, that have dealt with cancer, that have lost loved ones, and your physical health, even at times, you just don't have the energy you used to. You ache in places you never thought you would. And you live out this verse every single day where you say, my outer shell, this jar of clay, is wasting away every single day. But you know what never changes? And do you know the more that your outer shell wastes away, what gets stronger and more obvious to you is the living hope that is within you. Because the closer that you get to breathing your last breath, and your body wearing out, the closer you get to being face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ and all of your faith becoming sight. When you're young, you don't want to die. You're raising children, you want to see your grandchildren and even your great-grandchildren. We want to have as many days on the planet as we can to enjoy our families, to be with our friends, to glorify God. But there are just times in a life of faithful Christians that the outer shell wears out sometimes faster than we want it to. But I cannot tell you how many times I've been to a funeral, 
how many times I've walked through the line and I've shaken the hands of people that have just lost a loved one that they know that person knew the Lord Jesus Christ. I've also walked through the line of people and shaken the hands of people that had no confidence that their loved one is in heaven. And can I just tell you the drastic difference that is in that room from someone who can rejoice as a family to know that though my heart is breaking to say goodbye to someone I love, but now I know they are face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that is the living hope that we have. No matter how many breaths you have, no matter how many beats of your heart, no matter how many days God gives you on this planet, our outer shell is wasting away, so don't worship the jar. Instead, rejoice in the hope of what God puts in you and what God will bring you to. Don't rejoice in how amazing you think that you are. Rejoice in how amazing we know that God is. Paul says this jar is wasting. We don't lose heart. Our outer self is wasting away. But he says in verse 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Don't ever forget that what you're suffering now is just a second in the eyes and in the heart of God. We don't want to experience pain. We want God to heal our bodies. We want God to answer our prayers. We want God to deliver us. But we're also hearing from a man who gave his heart and his life to the Lord Jesus Christ and served him faithfully and still had problems. And what he's telling you is, in spite of the problems, God is still good. In spite of the shortcomings, you still have hope. And even when you experience those light moments of discomfort, they are just for a moment. So friend, just as I encourage you, and as Paul does today, don't worship the jar. I'm going to tell you, don't worry about the pain. Don't focus on the problems. Focus on the solution. Don't lose heart knowing that what you're going through is momentary and just might bring you into the presence of God. Let's just say that you go through some difficulty. As we stood here just a few weeks ago and heard David Martin's testimony of how God had delivered him through this sickness. Let's suppose, like David, that that God does answer that prayer and that He does bring you through and that you overcome something. Is it in that moment that we begin worshiping doctors? That we begin worshiping medicine? That we begin to worship the one that God healed? No, we always worship Jesus. And know that it's through those moments so many times that even in our darkest moment, God shows up even more than we ever thought possible. That we feel the love of a church family. That we feel the prayer support. That we know that we are not going through this alone. Friend, that is victory in Jesus. They are light and momentary. And he says in verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. There's a little town in New Hampshire 
that on the 50th anniversary of having a time capsule, they decided to open it. It had been in the library for the last five years in this town, and it had also been at the courthouse for the previous 45. It sat on a shelf for everybody to see that in 50 years, in 2019, this time capsule would be open. Just a few days ago, they, had to, they struggled to get it open, but they found the combination, they opened the time capsule, and were amazed to look inside and find absolutely nothing. Not a thing. Not a piece of paper. Not a video recorder. Not a Dear John letter. Nothing. They opened it. For 50 years, this box has sat on a shelf waiting to be opened only to find that the time capsule was empty. They wonder if somebody played a joke, if there was never anything in the first place, if somebody somehow broke, broke into it and opened it and took something out of it. But who's to know? Some of you may be amazed and maybe even disappointed when you open the gospel of Jesus Christ and you look into it and you don't find $8.8 million. Some of you may be slightly disappointed to open it up and not see all of the friends that you hoped that you would have one day. Some of you may be disappointed when you open the gospel of Christ and you look into it and you don't find that perfect picture of health and no problems and no pain and no issues at all as a gift to you. The Bible says we don't worship what is seen. We worship what is unseen. And the hope that you have in Jesus is there in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And though you may not be able to put your hands on what you want, God puts inside of you what you need. If today you open up your own heart like a time capsule to display for everyone what's in there, what would they find? Would they find a note that says to God, I got this? Would they find a message to the world that says, I'm awesome? Would they somehow find in there a letter that says, I hope so? Or would somebody open the time capsule of your heart and see the presence and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and know that you have that hope forever? If you search your heart today and Jesus is not there, if you open up your life and you know that there is no confidence and no relationship with God through Jesus Christ, if God has not poured Himself into you and you've not been born again, do not put another day in the time capsule. Don't hope in you. Trust in Him. And When you, as a born-again child of God, show off what's in your life, make sure the only thing that people see is Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for the grace and mercy 
of the Lord Jesus. And Father, we thank you for all that you do for us, all that you do through us. Father, we're thankful for all that you make available to us through the cross of Jesus. And God, there may be somebody here today who's never given their life and their heart to the Lord Jesus today. Someone, Father, that knows that they've trusted in themselves and not in you. Father, I ask today that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would draw that person to the cross of Jesus. Father, may you bring them face to face with the hope that comes from Christ. And Lord, may today be the day that they step away from trusting themselves and begin trusting in you. God, we give this time of decision over to you and pray that you would confirm our identity in Christ, that we point people to Him and what Jesus has done in us rather than getting any attention for ourselves. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Randy Johnson. Thank you so much for joining me for What's the Word? That show airs every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock on 101.9 WAIN right here in the heart of Adair County in Columbia, Kentucky. Or you can catch the replay of What's the Word on my podcast, which is called Walk This Way. And you can find that in several different places. You can find it at anchor.fm backslash walkthisway on the internet, or you can find it on different apps and, and places that carry podcasts like iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Cast and all sorts of uh, places. You can find this broadcast. You can find messages that I've preached. And I just want to encourage you to make it a point to tune in, subscribe, and listen to all sorts of content that's on my podcast, which is called, again, Walk This Way. Thank you so much for joining me.